Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused but at its essence prayer is simply talking to god the god who spoke the universe into creation who gives us life and breath who holds all things together this god wants us to talk to him in the vastness of all that exists he actually cares about us personally individually how can we not pray to such a loving god wherever we are how can we not thank him for what he's done or cry out when we need help when we need forgiveness when we're afraid when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from why would we live a life apart from him it's not about formula How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in him, to acknowledge our dependence on him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence, Because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that his kingdom come. His will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. Thanks again for joining us this morning as we're into the third installment of our series, Believe. And I hope over the last week you uh, were able to take some time over, uh, with our prayer initiative to, to uh, maybe on social media or you took last week's handout home with you to pray for those things that, that we've been praying about and just each day a different uh, prayer focus. I hope that uh, you found it beneficial and helped guide your prayers. And, and so we, we will certainly continue that. You can grab a copy. We didn't, ha- we didn't date it. So if you didn't participate this last week, I encourage you either reuse it if you used it last week or grab a copy out on the uh, tables in the foyer or you can go on our social media page and look over the last week and you can see the different prayer focuses for the, the last week. You know, sometimes I like to share the different things that, that I find helpful in my life, whether it's books or resources. Um, uh, a pastor friend of mine, his name is Jeff Leak, uh, lives in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, had an had a opportunity to get this book from him called Praying with Confidence, 31 Days of Powerful Moments with God. And it's just a really short read, um, which is good for me. Uh, there's very few pictures, which I found disappointing. Um, but just a short read, very practical. In fact, you can read through the first 
few chapters, sort of is just the intro, and then it's, it's 31 days uh, that sort of guide your prayer time. So if you're looking for a good resource and maybe wanting to go to a different level with your prayer life, I encourage you, it's, it's not much online, I think it's maybe 7 or $8, maybe a little bit more, but very practical and uh, very uh, inspirational to me as well. So I encourage you, uh, look it up on Amazon and, and uh, pick that up. You know, as we talk about prayer, uh, Darcy and I, we, we pray with the kids each night. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if your parents ever prayed for you, if you had like a regimen of prayer, um, but we certainly do, do with our kids. And, and when they were little, it started out with the, the memorized prayers, kind of things that you just sort of recite over and over again, and kind of got that from, from what my parents used to do. And so one of the prayers we were inspired by is, um, you probably might know this, um, this character, a very, very spiritual character. His name is Boz. He is a cartoon character, actually. Um, if you go on our Right Now Media site, uh, if you don't have a subscription to that, you can go on our website and get a subscription. It's uh, the Netflix of Christian Bible study, and there's a great kids section. And one of the cartoons on there is called Boz. He's sort of like Barney, except not annoying <laughs> as much. <laughs> so his, at the end of each episode, they close in prayer. And we actually adopted this prayer for our kids when they were young. And it, it goes like this. Thank you, God. As this day ends, for my family and my friends, taking time to sit and pray. I'm, I'm watching my daughter and my wife. Thank you, God, for, for this great day. Something simple. And that's a great place to start. As your, your prayers mature, they have to start somewhere. I think if, if you're like me, um, I, I think even as a, a young person, I felt like, man, I had to have these lofty, wordy prayers. I didn't even have to understand them, but I just had to recite them. And... and and when, when Darcy and I found that prayer, we thought, this is a great way to just teach the kids how to enter into prayer. Thank you, God, as this day ends for my family, my friends, taking time to sit and pray. Thank you, God, for this great day. And then we always did something else that I did as a kid, and maybe you've done this. You pray for your whole family. So we would end that prayer, and then we go, and Jesus, bless Grandma and Grandpa, Grammy and Papa, Uncle Brett and Deborah, Cam and Will, my brother and his family. Uh, and then we just go off through the family, and then... At the very end, because we're sort of getting into like, you know, second cousin once removed type family members, because you don't want to leave them out, right? So we would get through kind of the, the extended family and then, and all of our other relatives, just blanket statement, anybody we're related to. And I'm sure they felt the blessing of the Lord came down. Last night, uh, in praying for the kids, we, we don't use that prayer quite as much anymore. So we, we just said, hey, Kids, why don't you each take a turn praying? And so they did, and they, and they prayed that people would experience encounter God, which I'm just blown away by my kids' prayers sometimes. Um, just simple. They're not, they're not amazing in their own right, but just that they're inspired to pray for you. They're praying for their, the kids' ministry that they're part of, um, praying for those who feel far from God, that they would be brought near, uh, and that God would receive glory. But I, I think my favorite one was when our son, Robbie, who's six, prayed, Jesus, thank you for this day. Give us a fun day tomorrow. That's, his, that's usually his prayer. Give us a fun day tomorrow. So you've been prayed for. If you don't have fun, it's your fault, not God's. Um, and it's already a fun day because it snowed. So God already answered Robbie's prayer because it's going to be a fun day because we had snow. Last week we talked about praying for anything and everything. That, that sometimes we set the bar of what we can pray for so high that we don't pray for anything. Because we, you know, God's got all sorts of things going on. He doesn't need our prayer. And we talked about praying for green lights and parking spots. 
Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong to pray for green lights and parking spots. It, it helped me last week. I told you about my clutch going out and on the way to church, so driving here in second gear at like 50 miles an hour. It was really fun. And I got all green lights. And that, to me, that's God working on my behalf. Why, why wouldn't he do that for me? By the way, I, I anointed my car with oil, uh, 5W30, this week. And uh, the clutch works. I don't know. It must have been the cold. So I guess God answers prayers. But our prayers reveal our faith, our love, our maturity. Or maturity, as somebody told me last week. I was pronouncing maturity wrong. I just like to say maturity. It makes me sound mature. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But if prayer is talking and listening to God. It's got to start somewhere. And so asking God for little things is okay because as you venture out into those small things, I believe God will help you grow in your faith and what you're asking for because as he does the little things for you, you know that you can trust him with the big things. So I encourage you again, pray for anything and pray for everything. Praying is not wishing. It's not like throwing spiritual coins into the wishing well of God. Well, if I just put enough of these in, eventually maybe God will bestow some kindly gifts upon me. That's not it. We have a a good and perfect Father who not only, the Scripture says, listens to us, but loves to answer our prayers. Our prayer should ignite a greater faith as we believe God for greater and greater things. You know, the Bible records a lot of prayers. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a great deal of of the New Testament is, uh, records a lot of prayers as he's writing to the various churches uh, in, in the world at that time. And absent from some of Paul's prayers are things we might pray about, like food. Like we always pray over the food. I'm not sure I quite understand it because we ask God to bless the food. But he's already given it to us, so we're thankful, so we should be thanking God for the food. Maybe that's your, that's your, your uh, family's habit is you thank God for the food. I think that's a great idea. Sometimes I feel like you should pray after the food, especially for like school food. You pray after, and Lord Jesus, don't let me die. But the Bible records a lot of prayers like the prayers of Jesus. Jesus' prayers are, are so much different, I think, than, than my prayers. And as I've studied over the last few weeks in preparation for our series... I noticed that my prayers are very different from Jesus' prayers, from things that he prayed about. So Jesus gave us a model of prayer in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on to Matthew 6. It will be on the screens. Jesus model, it gives us a model of prayer. His disciples basically are asking him, you know, Lord, teach us how to pray. That's, that's what's recorded in, in the book of, of Luke about this very same passage. And in context here, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this, uh, probably his greatest teaching, and it's a a very kind of long sermon, if you will, about all sorts of different topics, very very practical topics for the believer, very challenging in terms of what Jesus is trying to accomplish uh, in the kingdom of God. And he gave us this model. It wasn't meant to necessarily be recited, and repeated in its, in its uh, original form, but it's giving us a model, a, a skeleton, if you will, on which we can hang our prayers on. It's not a magical phrase that if you recite it, uh, you know, it, it, it has some sort of uh, magic power. But Jesus begins by saying this. In Matthew chapter 6, 
starting in uh, verse 5, he says it this way, And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, verse 6, he says, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. I love what, what he starts out with. Before he gives him the model, he says, here's what not to do. Right? Here, here, here's how not to pray. Don't, don't make a spectacle of it. It's okay to pray in public. I believe in praying out loud and, and praying in public. But the way that the religious people were doing it was in a way that brought attention to themselves. It wasn't about God. It was about them. How, how cool do I look? How smart do I look? What, what kind of words can I use? And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Do it in secret. Do it uh, in humility. In fact, he says, go in your closet and shut the door and then pray in there because God will see what you're doing. We believe that when we pray in secret, it's not a secret to God. And he says, don't, don't babble on. D- don't just use a bunch of words that you yourself don't even understand. It's not the length of your prayers, Right? You know what I'm talking about. You ask somebody to pray for dinner, right? And it's just like, man, they just go on and on. And you're like, I, I, just, want, I just want to eat my food, right? Ten minutes later, the food is cold. Say amen already. Long prayers don't necessarily equal answered prayers. We don't have to go through the motion simply to get God's attention, but honestly and earnestly come pray from your heart. Don't, don't keep on babbling. And he gives us a perspective of God the Father. He says, listen, your Father, he already knows what you need. Isn't that like a parent? Maybe your parents were like that, or maybe you as a parent, you kind of already know what your kids need. And so when they ask, it's, it's, it's easy to answer it because you already know that they need it. And God in his infinite wisdom knows what you and I need. And, and so when we ask, He loves to answer. So here's what Jesus tells us to do in verse 9. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into... And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to kind of break that down for us this morning so we might get a look at what this skeleton prayer, uh, how it might be useful for us as we pray. He starts out by saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. This isn't just a location, okay? It's not focusing on where God lives, like an address. There's a couple aspects of of how Jesus addresses God. He says, our Father. This is revolutionary at the time because to say our Father really made God personal. And with the Jews at that time, God was not personal. He was only to be approached through the high priest. Only the high priest and, and the religious people had access to that, the Levites. So to say our Father was to put God at the access of everybody. 
So the religious ruling class were upset at Jesus for putting God in touch with everybody. But here's what Jesus says. Our Father, who is in heaven. Again, it's not just a location. God resides in heaven. This really is about an aspect of worship. Of recognizing that one, God is our Father. And that he resides in a dimension that you and I do not currently reside. He's our Father. With unlimited power, unlimited authority. And possessed in ways we can't even understand. He rules and reigns from a position that is much different than ours. We live primarily in three dimensions. I would say the fourth dimension would be spiritual. That we sort of are in and out of. But God reigns in so many dimensions. Beyond just our three. And so when we pray we enter into that dimension. That supernatural where we engage in conversation with a loving heavenly father. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed, means holy or sacred. There's an understanding and awe and reverence to God and to his name. We talked a little bit about praying in the name of Jesus. That that the name represented a character and the authority of whomever's name you were using. And so... We come to prayer in the name of Jesus. We understand that the name of God is powerful. This is why the Jews refused to even say it. It would be to invoke the name of God, Yahweh. But the Old Testament talks about praising the name or blessing the name of God. There's a lot of these phrases you'll find throughout the Psalms about the name of God. So we pray in the name, the authority, and the character of Jesus. We understand the magnitude of who we are praying to and who we are praying through. We're praying through the person and the authority of Jesus. We come to God the Father because of the Son, Jesus, and say, I'm here because of what Jesus does and did and His authority, I come to you. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name. He talks about your kingdom Come, your will be done here on earth as it is always done in heaven. This is the aspect of agreement and declaration. So we start with worship, recognizing who God is. And then we move on to this declaration and agreement with who he is and what his will is. Would you agree that God is already and always at work? I think if you you understand that perspective that God is already and always at work, it's easier to begin to pray His will. God is not inactive until you pray. He is already at work. And so praying His will be done is more about aligning ourselves with what He's already at work doing. And we're stepping in to His will. Jesus prayed that the Father's will be done. The author Luke and his gospel records that at the end, Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, prays to the Father. Father, take this cup from me, this cup of wrath that he's about to experience dying on the cross. He says, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours. Even Jesus had an understanding that he needed to step in to the Father's will. God's will is always done in heaven. Always and perfectly. And so when we pray, we want that will to be demonstrated on earth. I think most of the time when I I think about that, 
I think about everybody else. I think about sort of the generic prayer of, God, let your will be done on earth, just sort of in general, as it is in heaven. And yet that's not exactly how Jesus meant it. It was really about the kingdom reign in your own heart and life, first and foremost. You know, we always tell our, our, our kids, and I have to remind myself even, you can't control anyone else but yourself. And so what I'm asking God to do is let your rule and reign on this earth begin and start with the most unruly person I know, <laughs> my wife. Thank you. Myself. I'm the biggest rebel. I have the most unruly heart and will and mind. And so, God, I submit to your will. Let it be done in me first. Rule and reign. Let your lordship and your leadership be complete in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was referring to himself and the demonstration of God's will that, of salvation for humanity through him. So when we say, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, God the Father, let your son Jesus be manifested in my life. Let that power and authority be seen and demonstrated. Release your power and that very presence in my life. Let it work in my marriage, and my relationships, my family, my work, everything I do. Let that will be demonstrated in everything. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, we talk about sin. Sin is this thing that keeps us from God. Because of the work of Jesus, we're forgiven and that sin is taken away. You know, I, I think I, I, I probably perpetuated the thought that sin is just the things we do wrong, right? We've done bad things, naughty things, whatever, th that kind of thinking. But those types of bad or wrong behaviors are really just a symptom of sin, which is really the rebellion of our heart against the very will of God. So it's greater than just doing something wrong. It's that we want to rule and reign in our own lives. Isn't this what happened with Adam and Eve at the very beginning? If you read the account in Genesis chapter 3. It's that we're not aligned with the will of God. Bad behavior is just a symptom of the greater disease of sin. In two ways. One, we don't believe God and so we are in rebellion. We, well, I know what you say, God, but I'm going to do it this way. So it's either because we don't believe God... Or we don't know God. We, we're ignorant. We don't know what he actually wants. And so it's just easier to operate in ignorance. Right? So like when you get pulled over by the police because you're doing 50 in a 30 and you say, well, I didn't know. Now maybe they'll be gracious and, and they'll say, okay, you know, I, I'll grant you that. But ignorance is not a good plea. You can't just simply say, well, I didn't know, so I didn't have to be held accountable for that. We need to do our best to know God, who's revealed through his word. And we'll talk some more about that next week. But, you know, our will is the most powerful thing in our life. Our desires are the most powerful things. It's what drives you and me. It will override our sense of what we know to do is right if what we want is different. Now, if your desires are right and they align with God's will, Great, but what happens when they don't align with what God wants and what his will is? It's amazing what that desire will do. It will lead you to places you never thought you'd go, 
usually keep you longer than you want to stay and make you pay a price you didn't want to pay. Jesus goes on to say, after your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. This is an aspect of thanksgiving. It's recognizing where our provision comes from. Give us today what we need, Father. Thank you that you've already given us everything we need. It's that recognition of thankfulness. Give us today our daily bread. Was it simply just asking God for some toast in the morning? No, that's, that's totally ridiculous because bread and toast are two different things. You know, the greatest prayer we can ever pray is that part right there. Give us today our daily bread. You know, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. When we think about all of the things we need, do we stop and say, Father, give me more of Jesus in my life? If I don't eat another thing today, just give me more of Jesus. Give me that bread. Give me more of Jesus today than I had yesterday. Maybe that might change how you pray a little bit. In this reference, Jesus wasn't saying don't pray for the things that you you need and the things that other people need in your life. Because just a, a few verses later, he encourages us to ask God the Father for the things we need in our life. But I think those two aspects can go together. First, let's start with the recognition of what we really need. We really need Jesus in our life. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, first and foremost. And then we can present the other needs we have to God. God, give me provision for each day. And he follows this same verse up a few verses later with saying, and don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow or how you're going to dress yourself. God's going to help you out. Then he goes on to forgiveness. Forgive us our debt as we have also forgiven those who have debts with us. It's interesting that Jesus would suddenly include this as part of prayer, at least in this, in this format, that he's praying for forgiveness, which isn't odd, but then he follows it up with that clause, as we forgive those who have debts with us. God, I'm all about getting forgiveness from you, but I don't really want to have to give that to people because that's really hard. Uh, God, you don't know how people have hurt me, how they've wronged me. I'm sure God has no idea what that's like. Forgive me as I forgive those. In some translations, and perhaps this is how you've learned it maybe as a kid, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. I mean, debt in our world is so common. We just kind of live with it, right? So in that regard, we're sort of like, eh, whatever. What's $100,000 of student debt? You'll pay it off eventually. I mean, we don't really have a concept of the magnitude of debt and how it affects our lives sometimes. But I, so I like the word trespass. Because in some parts of the country, you come on my property, you're likely to get shot. Right? You take something that's mine, and you are going to have to pay. You trespass against my family, you try to hurt my kids, we're going to have a problem. 
And we've done that with God. We've trespassed against God. And God says, listen, because of Jesus, forgiveness is available, but only on the level that you provide forgiveness for others. Because if you can't forgive others, you haven't fully understood God's grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But God says, by the measure you pour out forgiveness to others, I will pour it out to you. Man, my prayer more and more should be, God, help me to forgive those who've harmed me, who've hurt me, so I too can be forgiven. You can't walk in grace that you, you haven't been able to extend. And I think those two go hand in hand. The more you understand how God's grace has affected your life, you can extend it to others. And as you extend it to others, you start to comprehend how God's grace has been given to you. That's a good circle to be in. It's a good pattern. But usually it works the other way, right? I'm not going to forgive you. And, and then we're going to think, well, God really can't forgive me. Or we expect God to forgive us in ways that we can't forgive others. And Jesus begins his closing by saying, lead us not into temptation. You ever thought that was odd? Why would God lead me to temptation? So why should I have to pray that God doesn't? Will he otherwise? Now, the book of James tells us this in James chapter 1, verse 30 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God doesn't lead us to temptation. The declaration is, God, lead my life. Lead me away from what I desire that's contrary to what you desire. So in this regard, I'm saying, Father, lead me. Lead me, not into the temptation that would lead me away from you, but lead me towards yourself. Draw me. Help me to hear your voice and feel the Spirit of God drawing me. Lead me away from the things I think I want that aren't what you want. Right? So many things that I want in my life. Is it what God wants? One of the prayers I pray is, God, make the things that I desire that aren't of you have no more pleasure. Make them dissatisfying and distasteful to me as they are to you. This doesn't mean just the, the bad things. It's the things that are not that God wants. And it could be good things. But Lord, take away those things that keep me from fully realizing your will in my life. And Jesus then closes this way. Deliver us from the evil one. In fact, so, some translations say just deliver us from evil. Which I like that prayer. Deliver us from evil. Keep the, the, the dark power of Satan and his army away from me. Keep that away from me. I think that's a, a great prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 alerts us that we don't wrestle against or make war or battle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. If you've seen Star Wars, you're, you're, you're understanding the, the dark side of the force. It's not the same way in the spiritual realm. Dark, darkness or evil are not as powerful as God's goodness and light. They are not equal but opposite forces. They are opposite, but they are not equal. 
God's goodness, His grace, and His light light will always be more powerful than evil. So when we pray, we say, God, protect me. Surround me with your angels so that I might accomplish your will. It's not just about our safety. It's about accomplishing God's purpose. It's okay to pray those things. But I don't think it should end there. That we simply pray for protection. As if we just want to remain comfortable. Please, please, please don't limit your prayers to God. Please make my life comfortable. I don't know if in your Bible it does this, but my Bible, would you go to the next slide? It has a little star and it says that there's an addition in some of the manuscripts dating way back to the very beginning that actually translate or have the, the, the manuscript saying, deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Make sure you read that fine print at the bottom of your, your Bible because there's good stuff in there. I think this really helps praying that God delivers you from evil, it puts it in the right context. Because it's not just about, Lord, keep evil from me, or keep me from doing evil, which is a good prayer as well. But Lord, deliver me from the evil one, that there is a spiritual force that wants to rob, kill, steal, destroy my life. But, yours is the kingdom and the power. The devil is not God's equal. He is not. And that puts it in a good frame of reference. Deliver us from the evil one because you own it all. You have all the power and everything points to you. It's all about you and your purposes. So when I pray all the rest that precedes this, it's all about his glory and his purpose and his will. Because in the end, that's who it's all going to be about going to be about God's glory. Even Jesus prayed that in John chapter 12. Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. It was your purpose. Father, glorify your name. Reading a blog this week by Bronwyn Lee, and I loved how she said, one word changed the way I pray. Instead of praying God, make it better. I pray, God, make it count. Lord, my friend, his son has cancer, lymphoma. Don't just make it better. Make it count. Make it matter. I think in our world, we like to pray, Lord, just make it better. I don't want adversity. But God's at work in you, doing a work for you, and for somebody else through your life. And so when you pray, God, make it better, that's all about you. But when you say, God, make it count for your glory and for your kingdom, it shifts the reality of what God is trying to do. It's not all about me. It's about his will and his kingdom coming in my life and on this earth. And so I pray, God, in Joel and Bryn's situation, make it count. What about your life? What are you facing? Stop praying that God would just make it better. Pray that God would make it count. That you would see that he's already and always at work. He hasn't forsaken you. 
He didn't drop you off at the bus station and forget you. He is already and always at work. This is what the scripture declares, is that our light and momentary our afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us on the day of Christ. And that should be our prayer. That in the end, no matter life or death, no matter what happens in our life, that all would point others to him. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd love to pray over you. The end of Jesus' prayer, at least in, in that manuscript version. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. That's a church word, isn't it? Like, I really think you need to cheer me on when I preach with amens some more. I'm just putting that out there. I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I need encouraging. And that, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to put together a document that tells you when to use it, though. Amen. The Greek word simply means, so be it. So everything I just said, Lord, so be it, I declare it. The power of words spoken. Can I declare something over you this morning? That God is for you and not against you. That he is already and always at work. Whatever situation is going on in your life, whatever transition you see coming that you're trying to navigate, God is already and always at work. And I declare that confusion is gone and that clarity will reign as you seek the will of God. Would you receive that this morning as I bless you? Father, bless your people in the name of Jesus. I declare that your word says that you are for us, not against us. That you are working on our behalf for our good and for your glory. That you will finish what you started. Would you do that this week? Bring clarity. Bless your people as they seek to honor you in their life, in their work, in their finances, in their marriages, in their relationships, and all that we say and that we do for the glory and honor of the name of Jesus and for your kingdom come. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're not done. Just one couple more things. I know you're thinking, you're a preacher. There's always a couple more things, which is totally true. But two things I would love for you to do in the next week. One, tonight, join us for our evening of prayer and worship starting at 630 We'll go about an hour and a half. It's after volleyball. So if you say, well, I couldn't come tonight because of volleyball, Pastor, that's a weak, weak, lame excuse. Please don't do that because I'll be playing volleyball and I will limp in here if I have to, which I probably will. On the wall in the back, we have these two wonderful spaces called, just, I don't know what to call them, our prayer walls. Love for you to begin to write out what you're praying for. And as you see God answer them, that's a record of God answering your prayers. Take time this morning or throughout uh, tonight or this week to stop in and and put your prayer up there. You can be anonymous. We prefer that. Um, Don't put my name on there specifically, but I love your prayers. So join us tonight, 630, and next week for our community worship service at 5 o'clock at the crossing. As we pray, as we come together as the body of Christ all over this community for racial reconciliation as we stand together and lead the way in our community because we are one in Christ. Would you join me uh, not only tonight, but next week? Would you do that? We love you guys. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you tonight. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.